Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you're enjoying this content, you could subscribe to my newsletter, theconsumervc.substack.com, to get each new episode and more consumer news delivered straight to your inbox. Our guest today is Avram Elmakis, founder and CEO of Climber. Climber is the first at-home vertical climber with a touchscreen and on-demand instructor-led classes. It's a full-body workout and one of the most efficient workouts you can do. We discuss how Avram became an entrepreneur, what led to the founding of Climber, how he was able to get LeBron James, Jay-Z, and Novak Djokovic to invest, and how he thinks about establishing new fitness habits among consumers. Without further ado, here's Avram. Avram, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm awesome, Mike. Thank you for having me. It's exciting to be with you. Oh, it's so great to have you on the show. So excited to dive in. So why don't I start from the very beginning? What was your initial attraction to entrepreneurship and becoming a founder? Great question. Climber isn't my first jump into this category. I would say I just love kind of creating things from scratch is, is one thing that I really like. And I really love taking risk. And prior to my entrepreneurial journeys... You know, I just wasn't getting that type of, you know, feeling, if you will, from the companies I was working for. I was more just kind of an employee for somebody else's vision and, and, and mission. And so for me, it was all about solving problems, uh, sometimes with unique product and then just really betting that we could do it differently and better. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what was your first exposure or experience in entrepreneurship? Wow. I didn't plan to do it. But I'm married. I have four daughters now. Uh, but prior to having our children, we had two dogs, pugs named Espy and Sushi. And we were like many couples where, you know, our dogs were kind of like our trial run at having children, if you will. And just we weren't finding what we were looking for as it related to keeping them occupied while we wanted to do different things. And so that was the genesis of the first business, which was natural dog treats and shoes. And started it very casually, didn't know I was going to be kind of an entrepreneur, thought that it would be a small business. It was in a spare bedroom of a condo. And over a 10-year period, it grew from that idea, right, that need uh, from $0 in revenue to close to $100 million in revenue. And that was my first shot at it, right? And so to me, it's all about being authentic and finding a solution to a problem that you're hopeful other people share. And it's just got to be that organic. It can't be, hey, I'm going to start this company to try to make a lot of money because I think that this is cool. So that was my first shot at it. That's awesome. Well, that's amazing. I mean, also just, I mean, incredible, the, the business you grew it into. How do you think important it is as an entrepreneur that it's a problem that you specifically have versus you see other people have? I guess I don't really have an attachment to that specifically. I just think it leads to passion, right? Like if it's something that you're finding personally in your life's journey, 
that you're like, man, this could be better. This could be different. This could provide utility to the world, to me specifically. I think that you, you have maybe a little bit, I would say more passion than if you're trying to solve someone else's issue. Not that either is, is wrong, right or wrong, frankly, but that would be where I would lean. Does that make sense? Were you always interested in climbing as well? No. Not at all. And so if you look at my track record, right, it's very different categories, right? Like most people are like, how do you go from pet treats to climbing to, you know, restaurants or all the other different things I've done? And it's just been uh, kind of this amazing organic, you know, life journey, if you will. It wasn't, it didn't really have anything to do with climbing per se. It had something to do with me as an individual. I had gotten really into triathlon as an individual. And so I was running a lot. I was, I was rowing. I was cycling. I was uh, swimming. And through those years of self-experimentation, I really got to know my physical body right well. And, and I could be done with an activity and say, man, you know, my shins hurt or my knees hurt or this hurts or that hurts or that was more productive than this. And I always would come back to swimming as like what I felt like was the pinnacle of exercise for me, right? It doesn't mean that that's what it is for everybody else, but I always felt right about it. I didn't move to Colorado to set out to form a fitness company or to get into climbing. We had moved here when I had sold the majority of the pet company. A wife, four daughters packed up, came to Colorado, wanted to journey west in the country. Uh, love it. And when I got here, I took some time off to really think about well, what did I want to do next? And I stumbled across, you know, again, organically, kind of a legacy climbing device. And for me, it was like that aha moment of, whoa, this feels good. This is efficient, but the experience and the product itself are not really resonating with me. And so what do I do about it? And, and that's kind of the simple story. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I actually agree with you. I also love triathlons as well. And swimming to me is always when I just feel my best when it comes to it. And that's amazing. And so when you were thinking about your own body and your own routine and physical fitness, what was maybe the aha moment that led to Founding Climber? Yeah. So for me, it was how do I... So climbers about three things, right? And so in, in this, the same, whether I was thinking of it at that time or thinking about it today, and it was about how can I do something that's very efficient, right? Because time is something we all share radically. How do we do something in less time that's very productive, right? Um, but more important than that, how do we do it in a safe way? And for me, I always felt like when I was done with a long run, you know, my knees hurt a little bit. My shins hurt a little bit. It was just really impactful. When I was done with a long ride, you know, my butt was sore from riding, you know, 50 miles. My low back was hurting. And I felt like I was just getting kind of more of a lower body workout than a full body workout. And so for me, I would go back and say, okay, what appealed so much to me about swimming? It was like you get out of the pool or you get out of the open water environment there wasn't any impact to the body. And it was always this whole body moving in motion, right, simultaneously. And so when I discovered this first climbing machine, I was like, that to me was the closest thing to the feeling that I had when I was swimming, 
even the swimming is pretty prohibitive. You know, you don't, there's not pools everywhere. There's not open bodies of water everywhere, but it was the closest thing to me that solved what I felt like were some of my challenges. And I believe are challenges other people face, which is how do I do something safe for the whole life? And how do I do it in as little time as possible? And so that was the real genesis of it all. That makes sense just thinking about the actual motion as well that you do when you do actually climb and how it is quite similar to a swimming stroke. And it also reminds me too, just just your story. I had on a Helene Knapp, the founder of City Row, and she was saying how she loved to run, but her body couldn't take the running. And so she switched to rowing as a low impact form of um, form of exercise and also very, very efficient form of exercise. And then that is what kind of led her to found City Row, which is also a very uh, cool company. So once you were thinking about adapting like the climb machine for like the in-home fitness kind of category, that really wasn't a category back then when you were starting or, or it was just emerging. Now it seems like it's everywhere, right? What were maybe the first steps that you took? First step was like, for me, it was, it boiled down to, okay, whether I've got a professional athlete like a LeBron James or a Novak Djokovic, or I've got my mother, right? Mid seventies, knee issues, hip issues, whatever. How do I create something that creates amazing utility for both? right? In the same machine, right? So, and it really does start with this simple vision of what are you hoping to achieve? And so what I was hoping to achieve was how do I create a movement pattern that is the most primal we know, right? You know, we all are birthed and we all crawl in this kind of contralateral movement pattern. And we all kind of know that, and we all stand upright and walk, right? And so we know that those are good things. That's why most of us have standing desks now, right? Because standing up is better than sitting down all the time. And I could just never conceive of like, why am I sitting down to work out, right? So it all, it was all around that like genesis of the vision. The steps were, I had in my mind what it could look like visually, right? But I'm not an industrial designer. I'm not an engineer. I'm none of those things. So the first thing I did was hire who now is my co-founder and chief design officer. But at the time, I hired him as a contract resource to design and sketch some of these ideas that I had of what could this look like? What could it feel like? And could we design something unique? Could it be something that hadn't been seen before? And so that was step one. Step two from there was starting to build prototypes out of foam and out of metal. And that was the beginning of this crazy journey. And never before have I built something so complex, right, as as this. And it's so different, right? It's easy to take something like a bicycle, a treadmill, a rower, because they exist and they have for so long and convert that into more of an at-home environment. For us, it was about the real genesis, right? Like what could this be from a blank sheet of paper? And it always cracks me up when I look back at some of those early sketches because it could have gone in so many different ways, but it wasn't informed by anything that existed, so it wasn't like, you know, some of these products you look at, you look at, you're like, okay, it's a rower, but it has a screen on it, or it's a bike and it has a screen on it. And it's all about what is the experience that we're going to provide that user to enhance their wellness journey wherever they're at and how approachable is it 
to the users that are everywhere in between that professional athlete and that aging population. What were some of like the challenges when you were constructing it and building out those prototypes? I can't even imagine. The first thing you're looking at is how much space will this take in the user's home, right? Like, because I think space is really important to people in terms of a physical footprint, whether you're in an apartment or you're in a home or you're building out your gym in a commercial setting, right? Space is really critical. So that was one of the big considerations. And then what's the mechanism of action, right? How do you create a resistance profile, right? How do you attach a screen to this thing that's never happened before? How does it feel? Right. So we started with foam models to kind of look at, will, will this work? Will this work for the majority of the population that might be anywhere from five feet to seven feet tall? Right. Because I think 99.99% of humans fall into that range. And then it went to a big, imagine like just a huge metal prototype, way overbuilt and super expensive. It's like building a car for the first time that's never been built. And that I had in my garage and I would have friends and family and other people get on it and say, it's got to be shorter. It's got to be taller. It's got to be smoother. It's got to be whatever. And then from there, we went into more and more prototyping of in the real product prototyping over probably a year and a half of that, you know, just consistent iteration to mechanism of action, to human factors, to design, right? To how does this look? How does it make you feel as a consumer when you have this product? So really challenging to go through that whole process, especially because there wasn't a footprint, right? To say, okay, here's a bike, right? We know what a bike looks like. Now let's modify this existing thing to whatever we're trying to achieve. So for us, it was, I think, a very complex, but also very beautiful process in the sense that we spent a lot of time on intellectual property. And because it's so unique and because when you look at it, you've never seen anything like it. And the good news is you likely never will because we were able to really secure a lot of IP around it and spent a lot of time on that because we were like, hey, we're onto something really cool. We think we can really change the way the world thinks about hierarchy of movement. So let's really dig in here and let's spend the time and the money to do this the right way. That's brilliant. How did you still convince those early adopters where they uh, weren't able to try out the product that, hey, you should, you should try out this product, right? And you're going to love it. When we launched on Indiegogo, right? Like, so we, we did this crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo. We launched, I believe, in December of 2020. We had originally said, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if 50 or 100 people bought a climber and, you know, because they wanted to take a leap of faith on something new? But as we launched that, I mean, it was exponentially different than any of us had imagined, right? And I'm also not one of these people that said, oh, I always knew it was going to be this smashing success, right? And that, you know, th- you know, hundreds and hundreds of people were going to buy. I think people are genuinely curious, right? Especially when they see something new and different. And I think that had a lot to do with it along with our real authentic explanation of primal movement, low to no impact, highly efficient exercise, small space required. 
And without trying anything, we sold, you know, I think close to one and a half million dollars worth of this product over that 30 day period, making it really more successful than then, you know, if we look back to the Peloton Kickstarter, we look at the rowing campaigns and things like that. And it really spoke to us and me and our investors and our team loudly to say, okay, people are really interested in something new and different. You know, they're, they're excited about it, right? They're just genuinely excited about it. And I think it, it started there, right? So it started with this very much this curious early adopter crowd. And then it pivoted to, I would say, as we look at today, right, because we still don't have an ability in all 50 states for people to go try a climber, right? It pivoted more to leaning on other people's experiences and saying, hey, you know, I trust this person, right, because there's somebody that I follow or there's somebody that influences, you know, other parts of my health and wellness journey. And I think that that has really led to, again, massive success with that not being able to, because you know what you're going to get when you get, a, for the most part, when you buy a bicycle, a rower, excuse me, or a treadmill, right? You kind of know, I mean, you might have a different experience. It might be a little cooler. It might look a little sleeker, but you know what you're going to get. Here, I would say 99 plus percent of our consumer has never been on a climbing machine before. So how also did you approach your supply chain? I know that, as you mentioned, you built out the prototypes. Was it hard to partner with a manufacturer that, that actually could do or build what you wanted them to do? It was in the sense that obviously they had never built it before because we had never built it before and it had never been built before, right? So much harder, I've got to assume, than building something that already existed, maybe with some modification. But we found, you know, multiple partners that were interested in the challenge, right? That had already built lots of exercise equipment, right? even though it was a bike or a rower or a treadmill and had a lot of experience with that sort of thing. And so even during the pandemic, we had sent our engineering team over to Taiwan and we had partnered with an external engineering resource, a, a big firm called Cooper Perkins. And they had experience with manufacturers as well that they thought would be good uh, fits for us. And ultimately, we landed on one vendor in Taiwan, and, and they started building the prototypes. And then they go through the betas, you know, like, hey, is this really going to work? And then they go through pilot production. And now we're, you know, full steam ahead with full production, notwithstanding, you know, the fact that it, it was completely new to everybody, right? And so there were lots of, I think, in my opinion, more challenge than a lot of other products out there because they're like, well, we've never done this before. And we're like, we've never done this before, <laughs> but we can do this. It's just this kind of really cool organic development of something. And was it tough to fulfill like the Indiegogo orders at all? Or were your supply chain pretty like set by that point? In my opinion, as the entrepreneur, the founder, the CEO here, the biggest challenge we've had has not even been building the product. The biggest challenge we've had is moving the product from Asia to the United States. And subsequently, once it's in the United States, from the United States to a customer's home. 
And so we're not alone, right? And I'm not complaining about, you know, the experience of the world, but the global supply chain is at a place that I've never seen it and never imagined it would be, right? Where you've secured a container to ship your product and then all of a sudden, oh, the container's not there. And then you've got product on a ship and the ship is supposed to come in and then, oh yeah, sorry, the ships are all anchored off of the coast, you know, and then when it comes in, it's like, oh, well, we don't have chassis right now for the truck to put it. You know, it's just like the problem with the supply chain is like so many complex layers. I feel like where we're at now is we're, we're finally navigating it and we're in a really good spot. What helped us to kind of circumvent some of those early challenges over the last couple of months was we actually chartered two commercial 747 airplanes to fly a few thousand of our first climbers over to the United States thinking, hey, we're going to save you guys tons of time, right? Because that's been the biggest challenge for me is you build this great product and you want customers to have it and customers buy a product and they want to have it. And so our interests, our customers' interests align, but like all of these other external factors have proved to be really, really tough. And I think you, you're seeing that in all sorts of products and categories. It's such an interesting problem because demand is there, right? People want your product and you've no problem producing your product. So the actual supply there, but just connecting that supply to demand, that right now is such a major bottleneck that's happening throughout the world. And I think it's everybody, right? I think it's big companies, startups like Climber, it's fitness products and it's, you know, cans, you know, it's every, you know, like when I walk into like stores these days, I'm like, where is all the stuff? Like, it's just, it's really challenging. And so I think maybe we get a little bit more grace because we're just starting out and it's not like we've been in business for five years and, you know, people have a different level of expectation, but it's still been the biggest challenge to kind of communicate openly and transparently with the customer that, hey, we're doing everything we can, but certain things are just, it's a remarkably challenging time. Now, take us like to the be- maybe the very beginning of COVID. Was it an instant aha moment in that, um, okay, we need to shift from even thinking about uh, going commercial and being in gyms to really strengthen our hold with, with, with the at-home fitness. Was that quite obvious early on? You know, for me, and I don't know what your experience and I don't know what everybody else's experience was, but I remember getting a call from my wife, you know, saying, hey, the kids are out of school for, you know, they're going to take off. I think for us in Denver, it was like March 15th or March 16th. And they're going to take off next week. And so we're going to have a two-week spring break for the children rather than a one-week spring break. So for me at the beginning, I was thinking, oh, yeah, this is an extended week. I'm guessing they're just going to clean everything better and maybe they're going to fog the world or something. Like, nobody, I didn't know, right? Like, who knew? And so my answer to that would be for the first couple of weeks, it was like shell shock. Like, is this real? Is this, is this a real thing? And then, you know, it was like, wow, these, all these businesses are closed, right? And nobody knew like when they would reopen or how would they reopen? And so I would say March, no clue. April, yeah, you know, it started to become real to say, okay, this could be like, this could last through the summer. I would say by May, we realized this is a long 
challenge, a long-term challenge. And so we need to really strategically think about who we're going to be as a company because at that point, we still didn't have any idea as to when, you know, when things would change, but it seemed like it was going to be a lot longer than what we had originally thought. So I would say by May, we had kind of made that switch wholly to say, we're not sure about the commercial environment. So let's really focus on the at-home user. So with that strategic shift that came May and probably into June, what did you do as a company to maybe capitalize on that shift? I don't know if that's like, for example, putting a lot more money in terms of growth marketing. I don't know if that's looking at, you know, more in maybe partnering with people that have influence in the athletic space, but would just kind of like love to hear what that strategically, what that shift actually looks like. It was all those things and more. So the first thing we decided was, hey, as we bring in new investors, let's really think about people that can, that have an audience right, that have a voice because we're a young company and we don't have an unlimited marketing budget. So let's find people where this is truly authentic to them because then they can share that with their population. So that was one thing we did. The other thing we did is we really started thinking about our website and our presence and how we wanted to go to market at that point. So we really shifted all the attention towards, okay, the right way to do this is Indiegogo. And so we started prepping for that in the summer of 2020, because that's where a lot of our peers launched, right? You know, you had Peloton and Kickstarter, you had Hydro on Indiegogo, you've got probably almost all of us some seemingly launched on some sort of crowdfunding uh, platform. And so that really kind of changed that pivot there. And then really messaging, right? What's important to somebody at home, right? To me, it was all about space, Right. Like when it was about space, it was about design. And then it was about what is the addressable market? Is it just people that are fitness enthusiasts? Is it people that are like weight loss devotees? Is it professional athletes? Is it people that are sidelined because they've got an MSK issue? Right. So they have low back pain or knee pain. Is it all the above? Right. And so we started really digging into value proposition, messaging and message testing and all of those things. So that that was really how we pivoted from thinking about the business before was who's going to help us sell these things to the commercial environment. Right. Much simpler business than figuring out how to navigate a sea of choices, right? Because now, nowadays, it seems like there's a hundred options that you could you could choose from for your at home fitness routine, right? So hopefully that that kind of addresses that one. I wanted to ask too, how did you approach strategics as well, like strategic uh, partners when it came to to help you? That would be investors. Did you? Always, apart from, you know, Indiegogo crowdfunding, did you always have the vision that you were eventually going to need to take outside capital in some capacity? For 100%. There was no way that, unlike the pet treats business where I could manufacture something for a dollar or two and then sell it to a consumer for two or three or four or whatever, much less capital intense. This was a whole new animal, right? Because you're building tooling to, and you're building molds and you're building software and you're building tablets. And so there was 
lots of lots of capex. So there was never a thought in my mind that I would this would be like a completely self-funded project. So I don't want to say that, but there's a way to think about raising money as an entrepreneur. You know, there's a lot of capital out there, but that capital has different reasons and different motives behind it, right? So there's going just the traditional VC route. There's the private equity route. There's the family office route. There's, and then there's a route of who are people that actually would use this product, right? Who would come to Denver, who would get on this machine and say, this is what I want to use. This is, this means something to me, right? And to me, that was, and, and still is an extremely important part of how I think about fundraising and kind of our overall capital strategy and making sure that some of those folks are really well represented there because this is a tool that they're using to preserve the longevity of whatever sport they're playing or however many stage performances they're going to do because these are very physically intense jobs for people. And I like to use the tagline that we've created called reach for greatness, right? Because it doesn't matter where you're at, right? Like you could be that professional athlete. You could be an actor. You could be an entertainer. You could be somebody who's just starting your journey saying, hey, I don't feel good or I need to move more, right? Everybody can reach. Everybody can excel at their own pace and do something different. So it was by design that we brought in a lot of our early investors like Jay-Z, like Novak Djokovic, and many others that I think this really resonated to them in an authentic way because we're not a big brand. We don't have money to pay them to say, hey, I like this product and, you know, I, I use it every once in a while. And for me as a consumer, it doesn't feel right, right? Like it's got to be like, okay, this is what I use, right? Like when you see somebody, like you kind of know, right? Like it's not. So to me, it was finding people that had a voice much bigger than ours and authentically loved what we were doing. How do you see the future of fitness and habits when it comes to working out? I think people genuinely are going to focus more on their health and wellness now than ever before. Because I think if this has taught us anything, it's about what are our relationships like, right? What's important to us as an individual? And I think for many people, it's been, hey, I care about my health. I care about my wellness. And so I think that that, from a macro standpoint, will continue to be a very big theme. Again, I fall into the camp of, People are going to want to be around other people and people are going back to gyms, even myself included, right? I get motivation from having other people there too in a room and and egging each other on and hyping each other up and just the physical energy of space being shared because I think we're social people. You know, I think humans are social and that that's part of our journey. I think it's very much going to be a hybrid model where people want to work out from home, from, for the level of convenience and the amount of wellness and health that's on their mind. And I think people are going to go back to the gym. And so I think it's very much this hybrid model. What's one book that inspired you personally and one book that inspired you professionally? Professionally, I really do love Charlie's Almanac. So Charlie Munger is kind of a disciple or a partner, if you will, of Warren Buffett. And I think there's just a lot of really interesting nuggets in there in terms of business and and things like that. In terms of 
personal? I mean, there's so many for so many different reasons. Maybe I'll just pick a few recent highlights that I've loved, but I've loved Green Lights from Matthew McConaughey. I think he's got a very interesting life. I've loved most of what Frederick uh, Brock or Bachman has written, like Anxious People is one that I just finished. And it's just kind of this very unique reflection on humanity and just people. And we all have stories and lives and things going on. But I'm an avid, avid reader. So it's hard for me to just say, hey, this one book is the best. I think you're the first person that's brought up Charlie's Almanac and also Greenlight. So excited to add both those to our reading list. That's awesome. That's great. Cool. Both great books. Yeah, that's brilliant. What's one piece of advice that you have for founders? You know, and I don't really give advice. I always tell that to people. I really share experience, but it's learn from others, right? Be open to criticism, both good and bad, and try to stay as focused as you can, right? Because for me, early in my entrepreneurial journey, it was so easy to say, okay, well, let's do this and let's do that and let's do that too, because that sounds really cool. And let's do that. And you lose kind of the potency of your vision and mission as you do that. So I would say learn from others. Peer-to-peer networking is huge and be open. Even if you don't want to hear it, process it, let it sink in and, and really be open and then focus. Those are some things that I would say through my entrepreneurial journey, I would relate to any young founder or aspiring founder. What's maybe the best piece of advice that might have like stuck with you over the years? From the mentors that I can think of, consistently challenge, be comfortable being uncomfortable and consistently challenge, you know, my ways of thinking. And that's what I would say is just one of those things that sticks in my head every day where I'm like, am I doing something that can potentially change the world? Am I doing something that's good for other people? Am I personally and professionally challenging myself to be uncomfortable? right? Because it's easy to just fall into our routines. And at least for me, and then you you get complacent and it's not as intriguing anymore. And so I would say constant curiosity and challenge. I love that. I think that's great. Get comfortable being uncomfortable and consistently challenge yourself. Those are great, great words of wisdom. Avram, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. My absolute pleasure. This was great. This was a fun conversation. So thankful and grateful for you having me on. And there you have it. It was such a pleasure chatting with Avram. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter at Mike Gelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone.